Well, welcome to week two of 23. So glad you are jumping in with us. It's been a great series on Psalm 23. And I believe that if you hang in there with us today, you are going to learn some things about Psalm 23 that maybe you've never heard before about this famous Psalm. So I'm really excited to jump into this with you. But before I do, I'm going to ask everyone to do something. Can you get out your phone real fast? Just pull out your phone, or if you can do this on the computer that you're watching this from, feel free to do that. But we want you to text this number that you see right now. That number has just a two-minute survey, four questions max on this survey. It will let us know how to help you when we are ready to open up our doors again on June 7th. So hopefully you'll be a part of that day with us live. If not, don't worry. We will continue having our online services so you can be a part of it there. But just take just a few moments when we're done today to finish that survey. That will help us help you and to know what you're thinking during this time that we're going through. You know, before I want, uh, before we get into Psalm 23, again, I want to talk about the GOAT. Michael Jordan. I don't know if you've been watching The Last Dance. My family and I have seen every episode. We've absolutely loved it. And there was one competitor that he had. His name was Reggie Miller. Reggie Miller was an, an amazing, an amazing athlete, of course. But when Reggie was a rookie, they were playing in exhibition games against the Chicago Bulls. At halftime, Reggie had 10 points. Michael Jordan, who had been in the league for a few years, only had four points. Someone looked at Reggie and said, Reggie, who is this Michael Jordan guy now that you're on the court? I mean, this is the guy who's supposed to walk on water. You need to talk trash to him. And Reggie said, you know what? You're exactly right. So the beginning of halftime, when it was over, Reggie went to Michael Jordan and said, so you're Michael Jordan, huh? Um, well, I just want you to know there's a new kid on the block. Michael Jordan just rolled his eyes. At the end of the game, Michael Jordan had scored 44 points Reggie Miller had only scored 12 points. In the second half, Michael Jordan outscored Reggie 40 to 2. At the end of the game, this is what Reggie Miller said. You don't ever talk trash to black Jesus. I love it. I love the description that he used of Michael Jordan. I'll give you one more. Another competitor of his was Larry Bird, the great Larry Bird. As a matter of fact, I have written in one of my yearbooks in middle school because I played basketball growing up. I had a little bit of game, but that's the guy I wanted to shoot like, Larry Bird. Now, if you'd like to see that picture, just give me a big thumbs up throughout the thread, and maybe if we get enough, I might do that for you. Some of you are like, no, spare me, please. But I did have short shorts like that because that was back in the day. However, back to the story. Larry Bird is playing with one of the greatest teams ever, 1986 Boston Celtics. Five guys on the floor became Hall of Famers. It was an NBA playoff game. During that game, Michael Jordan to this day set a record for points scored in a playoff game, which was 63. After the game, this is how Larry Bird described Michael Jordan. He is the greatest of all time. He's just God disguised as Michael Jordan. I love the description. Both guys, he's like Jesus. He's like God. I love the description that they used of him. Now, we know he's nothing like that at all. However, what we find in Psalm 23, the greatest passage of all time, in my opinion, you have David describing God as a shepherd. It's like he's just God wrapped in shepherd's clothing. 
And if you've never looked at Psalm 23, I think you'll enjoy this. This is where we started last week. I'll bring you up to speed. David said this, the Lord is my shepherd. I will not be in need. That the Lord is a savvy shepherd. He understands the landscape of my life. He understands economics. He understands marriage. He understands kids. He understands teenagers. He understands. And so with him as my shepherd, I will not ever be in need. And the next verse actually says this. This is how good he is to me. He settles me down in green pastures. He understands I need to settle down. And this was the picture that we used. If you didn't see it, it's a great picture. You have the sheep in a green pasture, but it is actually what it looks like because of the surrounding area and that he is a good shepherd in the good times that are green. And he's a good shepherd in the bad times when it's just harsh in life. He's a good shepherd and he's my shepherd. And not only does he lead me to green pastures, but he also does something else. He leads me beside waters of rest. See, God cares about your rest. And he also knows that you need rest. So a good shepherd knows how to find water when you need it most. I don't know if you know this or not, but in the Old Testament, when you take all the days off that God had given to his people, it totaled up over two months that they were supposed to be off. Don't work for over two months. When you just look at every single day, you look at the Sabbath, you look at the festivals, God wants you to rest. Why? Maybe he knows that your schedule will actually kill you. So he leads you to waters of rest. And then we talked about this last week as well, that in Psalm 23, verse 3, he restores my soul. And if you remember the picture that when a sheep falls over on its back, it can't get up. It might want to get up, but it can't get up. And he could actually die in this position. And so this is where I want to pick it up today. He restores my soul. The word soul is an interesting word because it doesn't just mean, you know, oh, he puts me back on my feet. It means the, the whole part of you. It's who you really are. And he cares about every single aspect of your life internally, what you think about, how you feel. So he restores you back to wholeness. So picking it up where we left off, I want to look at the word restore. He restores my soul interesting word. In the Hebrew, the word restores actually is this word. Shuv, not shove. Shuv is the word. Here's what it means in Hebrew. To return, to bring back, to restore, or to repent. So when you look at it in context, we have a shepherd that when we've gone astray, when we've done our own thing, he knows how to bring us back because when a sheep wanders off by itself it can actually get lost anxiety happens in its life fear happens in its life and when he wanders off he starts creating this bleeding sound and not like bleeding like you've cut yourself but this sound that echoes out that actually goes to predators so he becomes even more in danger so now he's anxious he's scared and he is at risk of losing absolutely everything. And isn't that a lot like us in life? When we wander off by ourselves, we want to come back to the shepherd, but we don't know how to get back to the shepherd. That's the beauty of the psalm. When it says, 
He knows how to come find us. And he is the one who brings us back to restore our soul. He finds us. He picks us up. He calms our fears and he returns us. He brings us back so we can be whole again. He restores my soul is what David is saying. See, this verse means so much more than what we sometimes think that it actually means. And here's how he brings us back. When he brings us back, here's what he does for us. In verse three, he then, when he's brought us back and is putting our soul back together, he leads me in paths of righteousness. The word path is is an important word because Jeremiah actually mentions that sheep get lost in the hills. Why? They all look the same. So the paths are important for a sheep to to know where to go in following the shepherd. And that's exactly when you find in scripture, these lines that are all throughout the hillside, it's where they have walked these paths, they're safe paths, they feel comfortable in these paths following their shepherd because to get off the path would simply mean that you could actually lose your life as a sheep. So he leads me in paths of righteousness. Now, this is a fascinating word as well, is the word righteousness. He leads me in paths of righteousness. You didn't know you were going to learn Hebrew today. Let me give you the Hebrew word for this because this is a beautiful word. Zedakah. Zedakah. Here's what it means. A right relationship with God and other people. It's the root word of paths of righteousness. You see, when we think about paths of righteousness, we think about doing right. And then we should. That there's a list of things you should do. There's a list of things you shouldn't do. But in the context of this passage, he leads us in paths of relationships that are right. The standard where God begins with righteousness is always relationships. Number one, a relationship with himself that we are in right standing with him and then a relationship with other people that we are able to follow him. And I love this picture of these, these sheep following their shepherd. It's like everything is right. They're following him. They're getting as close as they can to him. They trust him. And it's like everything is right with one another in this, in this sheep herd that is following the shepherd in paths of righteousness that I'm right with him. Everything's okay with me and him. I've wandered off before, but he has rescued me and brought me back. And now because of that, I am right with other people. And this is this what Jesus said. When he was asked, what's the greatest commandment you could ever have? Jesus, what is it? And he said, it's righteousness, that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength, and that you love other people the same way. See, the standard is relationships, not so much duty, to get a relationship, paths of righteousness. Now, when you read the next verse in, in verse three and finish that verse, it says, he leads me in paths of righteousness. Why would he do that? For his name's sake. In this culture, this was a job of honor or shame. And according to the condition of your sheep is whether you were honored or whether you were shamed. According to if you were able to keep all of your sheep, it was honor or it was shame. You see, here's how I wrote it down of what we can learn. The sheep are a reflection of the shepherd. 
This is why every time you go to our website, thebridge.me, we did that intentionally. We didn't choose .com. We didn't choose .org. We wanted every time you log on, thebridge.me, that it would be a reminder. You are a reflection of the shepherd. You are the bridge to other sheep who have wandered off. You are a bridge. You, you are the reflection of God to a world that needs to be brought back to him. It's the bridge.me. It's the bridge.us, if you will, as a church family. Now, here's what I did. I took the liberty of using these verses and really fleshing it out to what it's really saying to us. And so I'm going to give you the KDV, the Kenny Dean version. Here's what Psalm chapter 23, verse 3 is saying to us. He brings me back restores my life, and then leads me in paths of righteousness with him and others because his name and reputation are at stake. Why does he rescue us, restore us, and bring us back? Because it's his name and his reputation that's at stake. And as a good shepherd, he is committed to you as a sheep. Why? Because he loves you even when life gets hard. And that's why you read in the very next verse, verse four, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. This phrase, shadow of death, could also mean darkness or deep, dark places. But it's fascinating because in Judea, there's actually a shadow of death. It is a valley called the valley of the shadow of death of death. This is a picture of it. You can see the dangers. If you were walking the line, here's a gentleman right here walking the line. If you have sheep, how treacherous it would be if they fell off. Uh, The valley of the shadow of death. I love this picture. It's taken in the early 1900s. You can actually see him, uh, this shepherd walking with his sheep through the valley of the shadow of death. He actually has a rod here with him. Uh, We'll talk about that in just a moment, but you can see that he's taken care of. He's leading them well through the valley of the shadow of death. Again, it's deep, dark valleys. Have you ever been there? You ever been in a valley emotionally, relationally, economically, in your marriage with a friend, or maybe personally you find yourself in the shadow of the valley of death. If so, I want to remind you a couple of things about shadows that are true. Number one, and that is this, shadows cannot hurt you. It's a shadow of something that is real that can hurt you. There's a big difference between a shadow of a truck going over me and a truck going over me. When he says the shadow of the valley of the darkness of death, it's talking about a shadow that cannot hurt you. And the second thing is this about shadows. There's no shadow without light. There is a light to be seen. Our tendency in the shadow of the valley of death is to drop our eyes and to stop looking up because as scripture says, he is the light. Now, this is true about all valleys of the shadow. Valleys are, for every single person, inevitable. They are coming. You can bank on it. Either you are going into a valley, you are in a valley, or you're coming out of a valley. I don't know if that encourages you or not, but they're inevitable for every single person. The second thing that is true about valleys, 
They're unpredictable. Don't you wish you could plan when you have a flat tire? I mean, don't you wish you could plan when you go through hard times? But you can't. They're completely unpredictable. The third thing about valleys is that they're impartial. It doesn't matter if you're a Christian or non-Christian. It doesn't matter if you're trying to figure out Jesus or you think you've got a lot figured out about him. As a matter of fact, Jesus said, it rains on the just and the unjust. Both get valleys. The fourth thing is this, that they're temporary. Can I get an amen in the chat window that valleys are temporary? You don't stay in the valley. It says you walk through the valley, not sit and camp in the valley of the shadow of death. It's temporary. All biblical writers would write about this truth saying to you and saying to me, this is not your home. You will have trials. You will have hard times. You will have valleys you walk through. But this is not the end of the story. Every valley is temporary. Every shadow will dissipate when the light comes up. And the last thing that I wrote down about valleys, valleys are purposeful. God wants to use valleys for two things. Number one, to strengthen your faith. If everything is rosy and fine in your life, you don't need a strong faith, but it's when you're in a valley that your faith gets tested. Will you continue to trust and follow the shepherd? And the other thing that a valley does is character. It builds your character, your patience, your trust. Will you go deeper with him and follow him into the valley of the shadow of death, knowing you will not stay there? You say, well, what do I do in the valley? Well, I'll tell you what not to do in the valley because that's what David tells us. Here's what you don't do in the valley. Let's read it. Even though I walk through the valley of deep darkness, I will not fear. Watch, that's a choice. He's saying this, it's dark. It's a shadow, it is a valley, and it's deep darkness. But I'm gonna make a choice. I'm not going to fear. Now watch, this is such a turning point in Psalm 23. Up to this point, David has talked about God being the shepherd. He guides, he leads, he, he, he. At this point, it's like David steps back and puts God center stage through the rest of the Psalm because here he makes it personal. Watch what he says after this statement. Even though I walk through the valley of deep darkness, I will fear no evil for you are with me. The pronoun changes. You are with me. You wanna know why he says that? Because when you're in a valley of deep darkness, you don't wanna know about God. You wanna know God. You don't wanna talk about God. You wanna talk to God. It's in the valley of Christianity where growth happens. Did you see the picture? There aren't trees and bushes up on the sides of the valley. It's in the valley, but it's in the valley where your faith gets tested and it's in the valley you have an opportunity to get face to face with your shepherd. So David says, you know what? I'm not gonna talk about he and him. I'm putting God center stage. It's in the valley that you you, why will I not fear? Because you are with me. I will not fear because you are with me. He is with me. The second reason that I will not fear, he tells us in the passage, 
Here's what he says in the passage. Even though I walk through the valley of deep darkness, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So God is with you and God has an arsenal if needed. And this is the first arsenal that he has, his rod. And the rod simply means this, is for protection. A shepherd would carry a rod that would look something like this, be about two feet long. And sometimes there would be uh, something wrapped around metal or something involved to create as much damage as possible. God's rod for you is him looking at you saying, this is not for you, but this is for anything that's gonna come against you. I'm for you. I'm gonna protect you. And I will beat off any predator that wants to destroy your life. Why? Because I'm with you and I love you. And as a good shepherd, which I am, I've got plenty, I've got plenty of arsenal ready to go to defend you. Why? Because I love you and you're my sheep and I will not ever abandon you in the valley. I don't know about you, but that encourages me. I'm so glad God doesn't look down in the valley when we're in the valley of the shadow of deep darkness, death, and says, I mean, I have no idea how you're going to make it out of this. This is going to be interesting to watch. No, he has a rod of protection. But the rod also did something else. You actually find it in the Old Testament. It says this in Leviticus. Every tithe of the herd and flock, every tenth animal that passes under the shepherd's rod will be holy to the Lord. Now, here's how this worked. This was so fascinating. You had a, a sheep pen, if you will. This is an ancient sheep pen that was built by a shepherd. The sheep would come in, but the shepherd would stand at the gate of the pen and would count with his rod each sheep as it goes by. And it was here that the sheep found safety and the shepherd became the gate to protection of the sheep. But what did the rod do? The rod assured you are counted for. I know your name. You are special. You are part of this group. And when one wasn't found going under the rod, he knew how to build up safety for the rest to go find the one. Isn't that the passage in the book of Luke that he would leave 99 who are safe to go after the one? Why? Every single one matters and counts to him. Not only does he have a rod, but God also, as a shepherd, has a staff. The rod meant protection. The staff means direction. Uh, and you probably remember the pictures, that the picture was a, a, a long staff with a, with a hook at the very end. This is important. This was not to beat the sheep. <laughs> this was to guide the sheep. Not only was it for direction, um, you can see that it was also geared to be able to gently pull the sheep back to the shepherd. If you're getting too far away, if you start wandering in a direction, I don't want you to go, that's actually bad for you. I know how to gently pull you back to protect you, back to myself. You see, Psalm 23 is not just a nursery rhyme psalm that some of us memorized growing up. It is loaded with imagery. It's loaded with significance on how your heavenly father, the good shepherd, takes care of you, loves you, and truly wants the best for you. Now, let me ask you something. Let me ask you something. 
Is there any area of your life where you've wandered off or you feel yourself wandering off? What area is it? Maybe you've wandered so far off that you feel lost and separate from, from the herd and you feel separate from him. And maybe there is a crying out from you that you just want to get back. Here's the great news. Here's the great news. You just tell him, I want to come back. And everything that David tells us in Psalm 23, as a good shepherd, he comes looking for you. He comes to where you are because we know this is true. Sometimes we can go so far, we don't know how to get back to him, but we can never go so far that he doesn't know how to get to us. And when he finds us, it's not a beating with a rod or a staff. It's him picking us up to restore, to bring back our soul, to find healing and wholeness. Maybe for you, the question is this, are you in a valley? What is your valley of deep darkness? I hope you've heard your good shepherd say to you, listen, listen, I'm not leaving you in this valley. I would never leave you alone. And we're going to walk through this. We're not going to run. You want to know why? Some valleys, you can't run around. Some valleys of life, you've got to walk straight through. And it's in the walking through the valley of the shadow of deep darkness. And maybe in your family, it's actually death. Where he says, I'm going to walk with you. And I'm going to defend you. I'm going to protect you and I'm going to gently guide you and your character will be different when we walk out of this valley and your faith in me will be stronger when we get on the other side together, but we're going to walk and we're going to walk it together. And here's my promise. I will never leave you and I will never forsake you for I am a good, loving, caring shepherd and I know your name, and I count you as valuable to me. So when you leave, if you do, I'm coming not to pay you back, but to restore you back to wholeness of how I designed life to be for you. If you feel like you've kind of separated yourself from him, and maybe, maybe the pack, maybe the church, however you feel, if that's true for you, I want to lead you in telling him, I want you to come rescue me because that's his heart as a good shepherd. His desire would be to restore you. I want to pray with you. Just right wherever you are, bow your heads and close your eyes. Just telling these words, Father, I need you. I need to be restored by you. I need wholeness and healing. I need a close relationship of righteousness with you. I know I can't earn it on my own, so I trust you to make me right with you. I trust Jesus, the good shepherd, who gave his life for me, came back to life for me, so that I could follow him all the days of my life. So the best way I know how, just tell him, the best way I know how 
I'm surrendering my life to you as the good shepherd. And I will do my best to simply follow you. And if I stray, let me hear your words. Just come back home. Thank you for being a good shepherd to me. And thank you today for bringing me back home. In your name I pray.